turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 13. I found it quite interesting last week after our initial uh, Bible study, uh, questions that were being texted uh, to me, and uh, the... Um, so uh, stuff that we've not gotten to yet, that's, uh, that's good. And uh, be patient. And if at the end we've not answered your questions, uh, maybe we'll take a night where we try and answer some questions. Uh, but I believe we'll uh, get to uh, most of them. Is, uh, the, the, there's nothing new under the sun. So tonight we're going to start a, a study on the rapture. We'll be on, in, in it again next week. And uh, there is nothing that hinders the Lord's return. It is imminent. It's a theological term that means at any moment. Now, I'll say this before I get into the Bible study. Uh, these are, you know, this is just second week. We've done these PowerPoints in here. And so if the font size is not large enough, and if you're humble enough to say that your vision isn't good enough to see it, uh, let me know and I'll enlarge it for you. Or you can sit closer to the front. Maybe I'll keep it small and get Durette moving down here. She always parks herself back there. I'm harassing her about sitting down with the rest of us. But uh, I I'm serious. If the font needs to be larger, I can do that. And for a small fee like a Tim's card, I'll consider it. Ro uh, John chapter 13. On a very emotional night... The Lord said some things to his disciples that probably created a lot of questions. He said he was going to go away. And they're like, you know, why? Where are you going? And why can't we go with you? But he promised that he would come again for them. John chapter 13, I'll begin in verse 31. The Bible says, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Look down at verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not now follow me. Uh, canst not follow me now but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You can imagine their response that night emotionally to what the Lord was saying to them. He was saying, I am going away. And they didn't want to be apart from him, but he gave them comfort in saying, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, uh, there ye may be also. 
The disciples were not told how that would happen. They were not told where that would happen. They were not told when that would happen. But the Lord had promised, and I'm certain that they found great comfort in that promise that he would come for them again. So there are two key passages that you need to have in your mind regarding the topic of the rapture. The first would be 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 is that passage when the Lord encourages us that as believers... When a loved one passes, yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And the explanation is because one day we'll be together again. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Here's sort of the outline of how it's going to come to pass. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The second passage is 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. For all the churches that put that up in their nursery, that's not at all what it's talking about. In other words, we're not all going to die, but we all will at that moment in time be instantaneously and permanently changed. Verse 52, for in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, by the way, in my study today, my review of some things, one writer said that he read that you, you, the average person blinks 20,000 times a day. I'm glad I didn't have that job of counting how many times people blink, but 20,000 times a day. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. In other words, this human flesh will be transformed to where it's no longer has that propensity to sin. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
two key passages. We'll reference them many times over these next two weeks. Now, what I want to do tonight is a little bit different. Today is 9-11. Everybody knows what happened on 9-11 18 years ago in, in the United States when terrorists uh, used planes as weapons of destruction and over 3,000 people were sent into eternity. I read an article recently where the writer sort of made an analogy between what happened on 9-11 and the rapture. And I thought it was a, a sort of a good analysis. And so I've used some of his material. I've adapted it some to try and make it flow into our Bible studies tonight. But I want to share with you five ways that there's a similarity. And then we'll get a little more into a more um, specific study on the rapture. So what are some ways? Well, uh, I'm sorry, there's a second chapter. This, this is small print up here. Where is it? There we go. Both events were unexpected, were or are unexpected. By that I mean, nobody who got up that morning, went to the airport, got in one of those planes, thought we're going to crash into the Pentagon or the World Trade Center. That was unexpected. No one who went to work at the World Trade Center or the Pentagon thought, well, you know, today as I'm up here on the whatever 50th, 60th, 70th floor, a jetliner is going to fly into this building. No, it was an unexpected event. In like manner, when the rapture takes place, no one's going to get up and say, you know what? Yeah, today's the day. Today's the day. No, we do not know. The Bible said, Jesus said in Matthew, I believe, 23, no man knows the day nor the hour. So both the rapture and 9-11 events either were or will be unexpected. Second comparison is both are immediate in the sense that nothing else preceded them. There's no sign just like there was no sign of what 9-11 was going to be, there's no sign that you can look for to say, now I know the rapture is going to happen. There are no signs. The theological word for this I mentioned earlier is the word imminent or imminent. We read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52 says, in a moment or literally at any moment. And the idea of being unable to change your behavior or to change your destination because of some sign in the twinkling of an eye, in a few milliseconds, this immediate event will take place. The warnings were not ahead, just like there will not be warnings before the rapture takes place. In that split second, every person on earth will be in one of two categories. Every person walking on the face of the earth at the moment of the rapture will be in one of two categories. One, they will be raptured to be with the Lord or they will be left behind and enter into the great tribulation. Only two choices. 
And at that immediate event, that is the reality. Thirdly, both are impactful events. By that I mean, lives were changed forever in that moment of time of 9-11. People immediately, their life was extinguished. Many, many suffered injuries and they're dying of those injuries now. First responders rose up heroically and their lives have never been the same. Many like me or you may not have been impacted immediately, but the effects of that day have changed our lives. If you don't believe that's true, go get on a plane to fly somewhere. Just that simple illustration of security changes. Yeah, you, you can say it's gone overboard or it's gotten ridiculous or it's not really making you safer, but it has changed the way we live and the way we look at the world. The same thing is true, much the same way, the rapture will change the world forever. In terms of impact, it'll be far greater than the, uh, than the events of 9-11 because the rapture will not be localized. It will be worldwide. Cars will be without drivers. Planes will be without pilots. Uh, parents without children, children without parents even possibly nations without leaders if they're believers. And those disappearances will lead to, I can only imagine, fear, potential chaos, and possibly additional tragedy. It will be an impacting or an impactful event. Number four, 9-11, uh, is illustrative. The events of 9-11 are sort of illustrative of events that the Bible prophets uh, said would occur following the rapture. Uh, you have your Bible? Turn back to the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Now, before I go on, when the Bible speaks about the day of the Lord, it is talking about God's direct rule in this world, a unique time. Not every day God is God and God is sovereign, but this is, it is a term that is used biblically to speak of, uh, my personal view is that begins with the rapture and leads through uh, that period of time. So that's what he's talking about here. Verse 15, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh 
as the dome. It goes on talking about what the events will be like following the rapture, much like the, the chaos, the catastrophe, the harm in a smaller scale of the events of 9-11. And the fifth uh, analogy between the two is that 9-11, like the rapture, will have uh, infinite implications for the souls of men and women. Think of the 3,000 that perished on that day, 3,000 plus. All those who were saved, they were immediately in the presence of the Lord. All those, well, because they were absent from the body, present with the Lord. All of those who were not saved, at that moment that their life ended, they faced a terror and are still in that terror far beyond anything they suffered in that day. And if anything, that day reminded us of the eternal consequences of life and death, heaven and hell, belief and unbelief. The same is true of the rapture. When the rapture takes place for those who are saved, immediately they are in the presence and in the joy of the Lord. For those who are not saved, they will be entering into a time that is really beyond, I think, our human ability to conceive. If you read Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, that's basically the section that teaches us of all that will transpire in those seven years of tribulation. And it's like wave after wave after wave of judgment of God's wrath because of his holiness poured out upon a world that rejected him. The effect of 9-11 upon society has faded to some degree. I remember exactly where I was when I found out about 9-11. I was out doing some visits. Some of the senior saints of our church, they're in Fostoria. A man in his 90s by the name of George Stratton, he and his wife, I went up, knocked on their door, and his wife said, Pastor, did you see what's happening? I said, no, what? I don't know. I've, I've been out making visits for the last 45 minutes or an hour. Come in here. They had the TV on. I went in their living room. I sat down and I watched the replay of that video of those planes going in and the, and the buildings going down. And I wondered, what, what is this going to do to society? It's documented historically that next Sunday churches were full to the overflowing. Didn't last long, did it? People were serious about coming to know God for a few weeks or months. It faded away. But that day and the day of the rapture, the effect will never end. And Paul's counsel in 1 Thessalonians, we were in 1 Thessalonians 4, turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
in light of this truth. Notice what he says. Verse number six. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for, and for a helmet, the helmet of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Once again, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. So the rapture is an undeniable reality. This comparison just helped me to anchor in my mind some truth about the rapture, some things that we ought to know. So a couple thoughts about very quickly here, just some general things to open our study. Number one, what does the word rapture mean? As I mentioned to you last week, it's not found one time in the Bible. The rapture is a term that is transliterated from the Latin word rapturo, or it is drawn from the Greek word uh, harpazo, which means to, to catch up, to snatch away, or to lift away. It, was, it is used referring to the Lord's catching away of his own, the next event in God's eschatological calendar. It is found in several times, Scripture, John 8, 10, 28, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Talking about our security in Christ, nobody will rapture us, snatch us away out of his hand. Jude chapter 1, verse 23 says, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, lifting them out of the fire, rescuing them from the fire. So clearly the rapture is not something, if you are saved, you can avoid. And it is a snatching away of us out of this world prior to God's judgment coming on the world. So what is the rapture? Well, several things the Bible teaches us that the rapture is. There's, there's that definition. My slides are a little too small for me to see up here. What does the Bible teach us the rapture is? How does it describe it? Several things real quickly and we'll be done. One, it says that the rapture is a mystery. It's a mystery. The idea of the word, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, is that it's something that previously was not made clear or was not taught or not revealed that is now revealed. So it is that which Old Testament was not revealed, but now in the New Testament is revealed. Why? Because it is a, local, it is a church doctrine. It is a New Testament doctrine. It's a mystery. Secondly, it is, uh, first of all, the order there in 1 Thessalonians 4 is a resurrection of those dead in Christ. 
to those of this church age that have died in, 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 in their faith, they are called out first. But then those who are alive at that time who are saved will be caught away to be with the Lord forever, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I found it interesting as we read 1 Corinthians 15, the emphasis on the word all. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There is no partial rapture. That was a popular false teaching a while back. There is no partial rapture. All who are saved in this church age will participate either they're dead in Christ, they're raised first, those who are alive follow, but both will be involved. Thirdly, the Bible teaches that it's an instantaneous event. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the entire event will be so immediate, so instantaneous, it is not a gradual process. In fact, the wording is such that it's not like, oh, wow, look at those dead in Christ rise first. Well, I guess we're going to go next. I mean, it, no, it's boom, boom, it happens. There is no delay. There is no time. It is an instantaneous event. It is also an immediate and final event. It is at the last trump. No time to prepare, no second chances. And lastly, it is that change from this mortal body to immortality. You've heard me describe, uh, if you've been around long, that at salvation, we are delivered from the penalty of sin immediately the, the judgment that will come on sin is not ours. I'm saved from the penalty of sin. I also, because of the working of the Holy Spirit in my life, as I surrender to the word of God, I am saved from the power of sin. I do not have to sin. I choose to sin when I sin. And so do you. We can't blame others. We can't blame our heritage. We can't blame some weakness. No, when we sin, it's because we want to, because Galatians 2.20 says we're crucified with Christ and we can live by the power of God through Christ Jesus. But one day, either in death or through the rapture, this body will be changed from its mortality to immortality. And at that moment in time, I will be changed forever from the presence of sin. And what a wonderful day that will be. You get frustrated with yourself for your failure? I do. I do. It's a battle every day. But we can look forward to that day when the trumpet sounds, the shout of the Lord, we're called forth to be in the presence of the Lord forever. Forever. It is final. There's no going back. There's no changing it. It is final. Well, next week, we'll delve into more of the details and look at scripture. But I wanted to introduce it uh, that way 
tonight. The rapture, part one. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We're grateful for the word of God and how it teaches us. But Lord, this isn't about how much we know. This is about how well we live in light of what we know. And I pray that you would stir our hearts. Understand, we don't have unlimited time. We, we can't keep putting off our dedication, our surrender, our service. But today's the day. Now's the time. And we need to be serious about our walk with you today. Because before we pillow our head tonight, or before we rise from sleep, or tomorrow before we have lunch, the trump could sound. The dead in Christ should rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up forever to be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with you. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live in light of that next great event on your calendar. Thank you for each one here. Use your word in our lives, we pray. For it's in your name we ask it. Amen.